0: Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney and
1: I am Carl.
0: This is episode 660 six and we are reviewing Fena Pirate Princess. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned.
1: Hey. <laughs>
0: I have confirmed by the way, it is pronounced Fena. Uh, I thought it was going to be pronounced Fina and so I was saying Fina for a long time even though in the the sub they actually do say Fena but I figured for the, the dub they'd be like oh Fina pirate princess but nope I listened to the dub and it's Fena.
1: We talked about this before right? I think so. Like on I our summer it. impressions or some other random episode.
0: Yeah, and uh, it was weird for me to try and break away from saying Fina. I don't know. I think just being an American, my mind I'll automatically assumed that it would be pronounced Fina
1: because of Xena Warrior Princess. I yeah, <laughs> I just like it,
0: it. Just my brain just thought that was the logical way to pronounce it as a, a Westerner, but they stick true and they keep it Fena just like the um, the Japanese sub does. So. Yeah, it's Fena, Pirate Princess. I'm used to it now. It was weird at first, but well, it's fine.
1: Well, because she's technically French too, right? Yeah, Or of yes. French descent. So I think even the French pronunciation of her name would be Fena as well. Oh,
0: well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but before we get into it, I thought it'd be fun to revisit the countries that were most listened to in. I don't know how to say that sentence correctly. I don't know what the the appropriate sentence structure is, but we've done this before where we pulled the top 10 countries um, for our listeners and we went through it and I I thought it'd be fun to see where we're at now. Um, I, I saw a couple of differences and yeah, I'll dive right in. So I'll go backwards. Number 10 is Germany what up germany
1: oh wow, hello number nine hello
0: is, <laughs> number nine is thailand number eight is singapore number seven is australia i thought that was pretty cool hello mate number six <laughs> is nepal number five is the philippines wow. what up philippines Mahal we're kita. both filipino <laughs> number four is canada number three is the uk Number two is India. And number one is the US, obviously. You don't
1: say. Yeah, you
0: know. (laughs) We just so happen to be based out here in the US. So thank you, everyone, from those countries and all the countries around the world that listen to us. It is actually a pretty extensive list of countries but we do have you know to be fair like one to three people listening out of a lot of those countries but regardless we appreciate everyone who tunes in around the world it's Mm kind of weird to say that right like we're technically global it sounds strictly
1: anime strictly global
0: yeah (laughs) it sounds bigger than than uh, i'm sure it really is for for us as we're still a growing podcast but again we appreciate it and thank you everyone for tuning in all right fena pirate princess um what were your overall thoughts about this show before we dive into some fun facts? Because there's a lot to talk about outside of the show, more on the production of it.
1: So I think the first thing I thought of when I, was, when I heard that this was going to be a Crunchyroll original, it reminded me of the last Crunchyroll original that we watched, which was Tower of God. That and was a Crunchyroll original? yes well oh. of course it was based off of the uh, korean uh, manhwa or it was a webtoon I webtoon think. yeah um and you know like that one was okay but towards the end we had like a lukewarm reception to it and you can probably listen to that episode review um that was way way back when we started oh yeah
0: that was way way back let me, let me pull the episode number because that was way back there as I stall really quick to find it, Tower of God was episode 14. Be warned, anything earlier than episode 20 is, uh, is going to be a little rough around the edges. We were still a new podcast. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the best mics yet. Um, we upgraded our mics right around episode 20. So just uh, be warned if you tune in to Tower of God.
1: So yeah, basically that show was as rough as our audio back then. <laughs> and so when we heard the announcement that Crunchyroll was coming out with this other original, um, a Pirate Princess I was a little bit wary and then we ended up hearing that it was a collaboration with Adult Swim and that kind of gave me a little bit more hope in the series because I think with a lot of us who are millennials um, growing up uh, Adult Swim was kind of our first foray into anime especially with the Toonami block um, so I think we had both fervently hoped that this collaboration would create a product that was enjoyable for everyone to watch and i think this was a very enjoyable series to watch and like what Onisan, oni-san um this was a considerable diamond in the rough and i mean rough that was summer 2021 mm-hmm. anime mm-hmm. um I don't know it, it it has that anime feel but it also feels like a disney-esque quote-unquote pirate or treasure hunting adventure um and it gives me sort of like assassin's creed vibes with the lore and the world building, especially with the sort of mythical qualities uh, surrounding Joan of Arc and how that's intertwined with this story as well with, as well as like mixing in elements of like Japanese lore and mythology. Um, I will say that towards the end, like the story itself, I, I call it kind of like a, similar to like a b-action movie like the story is great it's not like outright fantastic but again it's enjoyable to watch it's just that the very end of the series it kind of went in a direction that i felt didn't match everything preceding it um and it left a lot for uh, left a lot to be desired Um, although i think they kept the ending kind of open-ended to see if they could go a different route or to see where they could take it for a potential second season. Um, But what were your thoughts?
0: I love this show. It's not the best show ever, but just from a pure enjoyment standpoint, I loved it. Like you said, Summer 2021 was um, pretty lackluster. So I think this was probably the one show that I looked forward to the most each week. And I think we mentioned this in the Summer 2021 review, Um, or first impressions but Fena I feel like is severely underappreciated it does not have the fandom that it should and a lot of that is because anime originals oftentimes don't get a lot of traction because there's not a source there's there's no source material to to drum up some hype and also it premiered so late in the season I mean very late in the season um, only to be outdone by Gambare Doki-chan but yeah it was very late in the season that this premiered so it kind of had the card stacked against it and i i feel like a lot of people that enjoy the show kind of say the same thing that it it really needs and deserves more attention now it does have some some things it could have done better it could have used a little more polish not in terms of production value because the production value was insanely high fantastic animation where there was almost never a shot where a character looks off Or the animation looks anything less than super smooth a lot of effort you can tell was put into this and and it certainly paid off visually Um, but i would say in terms of pacing and um, just management of time uh, against world building and and a lot of the lore was probably where it fell a little bit short Mm -hmm. and i say that with a grain of salt because you could easily build this out into a full 26 episode series and that's honestly where it should have gone because it had so much potential like i'm not saying that the pacing and everything um was necessarily like a a bad situation it was probably a good problem to have because it just shows how much potential and how much better fena could have been if it had a full 25 26 episode season versus the 13 episodes that we had here
1: i think it was 12 yeah 12 episodes.
0: 12? It was 12? Really?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I wrote the synopses for each episode, so I, I counted oh, yeah. 12. Yeah, I
0: don't know why I thought it was 13. Maybe I, I desperately wanted more episodes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that um, this show, I don't know, like it's just so great to see that Adult Swim is back in the anime game. Now that they ever left, Toonami is still there. They're still, you know, showing the best of the best um, on the dub side of things. But it's, it's fun to see Adult Swim get back into the game after... Um, a long time of uh, seemingly pushing anime to the background. I'm of the generation, as I think you are as well, um, that grew up on Adult Swim anime, where like anime was not the last thing on Adult Swim's block. It was some of the first stuff that was in there, and it was great anime with great dub. Then they kind of pushed Toonami to like the back end. It's usually like, the last thing that they show at night. But here, I feel like they're starting to to dip their toes back in the water, and they did a great job um, alongside Crunchyroll. I also really love the mix or balance or blend of characters that we have. Um, I I could easily never get a backstory on these characters, which I don't think we really did. But they just all come together so well and they all add something great to the show. So I feel like the the characters and the character designs were very well done. And my favorite part of the show... Probably no surprise to those of you who have been around um, for uh, for a bit here with Strictly Anime. I stand Yukimaru, okay?
1: Mm. You know
0: me. I love my male tsundere's, and he is probably the perfect male tsundere that I've ever come across. He's got all of the qualities that make a tsundere great, but he's not a jerk or morally questionable he's just a straight-laced dude who's too shy to admit his love for fena he's very capable and sensible
1: he's a yes man not even <laughs> okay for her yeah for for her he's a You'd yes do man. do anything for her he
0: would he would um but yeah he he's got the center-day qualities where he's just like you know he, he tries to be um i don't know standoffish but you know his ears kind of give away his mood pretty quick and, yeah, he's not a, hes not an asshole. I love when a, a Sundere is a tsundere but doesn't have to be an asshole at the same time.
1: He's more brooding than he is, like, in your face.
0: Yeah, but, like, the brooding doesn't even make me feel like I, I have to— I, I don't feel hesitant about him. Like, okay, perfect example, Bakugo. People are like, yeah, he's a male tsundere, but he's also an asshole, right? Like, and there's other characters, too, like um, Kyo from Fruits Basket, where he, he says some things, he lashes out at people— Yukimaru doesn't do those things. He just has the demeanor, the personality of a today, but he's actually a pretty decent dude. So yeah, stand the shit out of Yukimaru.
1: Of course you would.
0: <laughs> I do want to bring up something that I came across, and I don't know if anyone's really talked about it much, but I just happened to come across it when I was um, browsing a bit of like lore for Fena Pirate Princess, and it's this manga called... Okay, and I, I might be butchering this name. It's either called Isak or Isaac. Um, And I I looked into the synopsis for it. It's a historical piece that follows this Japanese guy whose Japanese name is Isaku um, in, in his escapades throughout Europe. Um, so that's why I'm wondering, like, do they pronounce his name Isak? Because it's spelled I-S-S-A-K. That's the title of the the anime, which is also his European version name. Hmm. Um, or it could be Isaac. I don't know. Either way, um, it follows this guy. So basically, it's a blend of Japanese culture and European culture, just like here in Fena Pirate Princess. But if you look at the two main characters, um, Isak or Isaac, and then there's like this girl with long hair, it's basically Yukimaru and Fena. And the similarities between this manga and Fena Pirate Princess are pretty strong. And the, the little mm. bit of talk I saw online about it, people were saying kind of the same thing. Like, did they pull inspiration from this manga um, or did they do their own thing here? And did it just happen to to fall very closely to this, this manga that's out there?
1: Well, what is the story with Isak, Isaac, and this girl that's accompanying him is it similar where it's like a journey to help this girl get somewhere
0: i don't know i I think they have like a partnership in some way like the they're the main characters and they they travel a lot together but really i don't know um it was a brief synopsis that i read but it gives me like the pictures I was looking at and and what from what the synopsis said, it kind of gives me like Fena meets Vinland Saga vibes. Mm. But again, like the way that, just look it up, like the way that these characters look and you put them next to Yukimaru and Fena, they look very similar. So again, I don't know if any inspiration was taken there or if they just happened to be coincidentally very similar, but that was kind of a, a neat tidbit that I came across.
1: Funny that you mentioned Vinland Saga, which is also a kind of a sleeper hit, I think much like this Uh, series is going to be
0: yeah if you if you did not sleep on vinland saga don't sleep on fena either Mm -hmm. they're very different but they're both very enjoyable um and then the last thing i wanted to mention before we dive in is that i think and i have not confirmed this maybe you know uh i think that the fena character designer is the same person from samurai champloo
1: yes so the Studio behind of Pirate Princess* is Production IG, very well-known studio, Um, and I believe the series was directed by Kazuto Nakazawa. He was actually the character designer and direct, or he is a character designer and director, and he was involved in the character designs for *Samurai Champloo*. Um, another fun fact is that he worked on the anime sequence in Kill Bill Volume One. Oh, which I it's been a long time since I've seen that movie, but i I vaguely remember that sequence. So, yeah, this guy's been doing a lot of crazy things. Well,
0: if you put gin next to yukimaru I mean, yeah. It's like his son, basically. And then <laughs> it's like you—it's Jin like without glasses. <laughs> and then
1: you put Fu next to Fena. And yeah. You kind of <laughs> see the similarities there as well.
0: And then you put the guy from the first episode that Fena was supposed to ma- be married to, um, who I think is Overhaul's voice actor. Remember Yeah. Made- um, him a few times.
1: His name was Maxiver Jr. And yeah, it's Kenjiro Suda. And you put him
0: next to Mugen. <laughs> <laughs> they, they at least had Mugen in there too, <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they plopped him in there. But yeah, so it was cool kind of seeing that that art style come back. And I think it was just a perfect fit for the show because the way they design Yukimaru against Fena, and I'll dive into this a little bit more, but their two character designs are complete opposites. Um, Fena with her big, bright eyes, blue eyes, um, white hair, basically. And then Yukimaru with his very, like, you know, Asian Japanese look to him, his dark hair, long dark hair. Um, it kind of has, like, I think she mentions in the, the first episode, he basically has, like, black, dark eyes. Um, I just love the the contrast between the two because they are of completely different descents.
1: But I think the show just, despite having so many different character designs, again, with, like, the Far East influence and then the European influence, it it seamlessly blends together. And I think also it's just very, very vibrant colors and just very gorgeous backdrops which you don't really expect in something that's supposed to be inspired by like the age of piracy. Although I don't really consider this a very pirate-oriented anime.
0: It's kind of not. You're right. right. Like there are pirates, but it's not even like they call themselves pirates, but mm-hmm. there's more legit pirates. They're just pirates.
1: like journeymen, journeywomen. And like you the, you have the Rumble Rose crew, which like obviously they're just pirates and wanting to get their, their share of the loot um, in the end. But Yeah like i just love the the aesthetic of this show and just how bright the colors are and then when it gets into the darker moments just how fiery those can be and fiery because there's so many instances of, of like fire yeah explosions <laughs> and and fiery things but yeah it props to production ig for the work that they did on the show um especially with it being an original uh just coming up with all of these sequences and scenes
0: it's a gorgeous show and really again I can't say enough about the animation it's just insane Uh, I would say the only time it didn't look absolutely perfect was in episode 11 the second to last episode you can tell that one took a hit Um, they probably moved a little budget away from episode 11 um, because it it didn't look bad but comparably to the rest of the the episodes it did look different bad. It looked, yeah it was a step <laughs> down um so i hate to say that it, it was bad because yeah if you compare that to any other show it's great animation but when you compare it to the rest of this show it's uh yeah it's a little rough around the edges it was kind of distracting but nonetheless it was a, a great episode
1: and so with all that said let's go ahead and set sail into our synopsis and discussion for fena pirate princess so to begin Fena, Pirate Princess is a Japanese anime television series produced by Production IG and directed by Kazuto Nakazawa. The series is a co-production between Crunchyroll and Adult Swim, which takes place in an alternate history version of the 18th century and follows a young woman named Fena as she undertakes a seascaping journey to find out who she truly is. In episode 1, Memories, a long time ago in a pirate sea far, far away, Orphaned servant Fena plans to escape the clutches of her arranged marriage with a British sleazeball on the island of Shangri-La, and recalls memories from 10 years past of a young lad named Yukimaru saving her from a pirate boarding party on her family's ship. Two of her family's former lieges assist in her escape until she is surrounded by a group of neer Until-until a group of non-American ninja warriors emerge to cut them down, led by a noble Ghost of Tsushima cosplayer whom Fena recognizes as Yukimaru before he bonks her unconscious with his sheath.
0: So let's talk OP and ED right off the bat. Do you want to kick this off with the, the song titles and all that fun stuff? Because they, they miraculously made their way on the Spotify playlist.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, this first episode, I don't think it had an ED. I think that debuted in episode two, but we can go ahead and talk about both. Uh, so the OP... The song is called The Sea and a Pearl by Juna and the note I wrote here is that it just sounds like the stereotype of what anime openings are supposed to sound like which is not it's not necessarily a bad thing but it, I think it's it's it checks the boxes off for what an OP should be.
0: I I completely agree. I wrote standard anime opening both in song and in visuals. Um I don't know. I, I felt like the the song didn't appeal to me at first, but it did grow on me. Uh, I, I I think halfway through the show we stopped skipping it because I was like, all right, fine, I'll watch it. Um, so it's not a bad song. It's it's definitely got that mystical piratey sound, especially in the the opening to it with the the thing you were just humming.
1: The hey, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, the chant would, yeah, like makes it kind of sound like a like a sea shanty um, with that beginning. Um, And, like, the lyrics I'm looking at, it. it's all about just, like, a journey that the singer takes and who she's taking the journey with. Um, So, obviously, I think it's symbolizing Fena um, finding out who she is and the crew that accompanies her alongside, um, especially Yukimaru, of course. And then you have the E.D., which is called saihate the farthest shore by minori suzuki i think the tv size version is still the only one available on spotify um i haven't listened to the whole song but i i like this and it kind of reminds me the, the music reminds me of the name of love by cinema staff um that was from attack on titan season three part two it has a very similar structure uh visuals wise it's again heavily focused on Yukimaru and fena um so i think that appeals to you more specifically <laughs>
0: hell yeah i shipped the shit out of Yukimaru and fena from episode one <laughs> um so as you can imagine i was very pleased with the way the show ended but i i like the song too it it uh it caught my attention right away. I love that it starts off slow and then builds um, at the the chorus. And the visuals are really nothing crazy, but they're just they're a nice way to end the episode. I think they're calm enough, where it's it's a good send off until you ha- you know you get to the next episode next week. So I I enjoyed it and I love the part with Yukimaru and Fena at the end of it. I would say my first reaction to this first episode or the show overall is that, as you mentioned earlier, this has a Disney feel to it with the character design and kind of the over-the-top animation or motions. I I was like, this this feels like if Disney were to make an anime.
1: Especially with, um, I call them her former lieges. I don't know the proper. The two old dudes? Yeah, um, Otto and Salman. I, I felt like it was almost a, Donald Goofy vibe to them. It was... felt
0: like Beauty and the Beast. I mean or, yeah. <laughs> like, it was like characters straight out of Beauty and the Beast. That's what I thought. Like anime style.
1: Yeah, and Fena is like the bell in this case. Um <laughs> I thought it was also funny that they mentioned Prima Nocta yeah. at the beginning. <laughs> which you know, like the the office fan in me <laughs> hears that, although I know it's referenced in Braveheart too. I get but... I
0: got nervous when I felt the Disney vibes here and I was like, okay, is this going to be a an anime not necessarily catered toward an older audience? Is it going to have more of like a kid feel to it? Are they going to avoid violence and blood and language and all that? Certainly not the case. There's, they're not like outright crude. But there's, there's blood, there's fighting, there's... And
1: Prima Nocta. There's
0: Shitan there's <laughs> who tries to fuck every woman he comes across. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that it didn't end up being that way, but I was concerned at first just from this first episode. But I would say overall it was a an adventurous and high energy first episode that definitely captured my attention. Um, although I was kind of like, how does this relate to being a pirate?
1: Oh yeah, this is more like just the... The escape episode for Fena. You don't really get much outside like it the actual story begins in episode two with the journey. And speaking of episode two, which is called an inherited journey. Whoa. Fena wakes up on a raft with her lieges, Otto and salmon and with a random dog, Brule from Brule's Rules, and journeys to Goblin Island, home to a Japanese clan that swore to protect Fina's Houtman bloodline because of her friendly neighborhood ancestor. The clan leader Yukihisa presents Fena with a glass like stone left behind by her father, which spurs her to learn more about the meaning of his final words, Eden. She presses L1 to recruit the seven samurai, aka Goblin Knights, that rescued her in the previous episode, and the ragtag crew sets off on their journey aboard the Bonito 2 pirate submarine. Brule.
0: <laughs> Brule. Brule's rules for all you Tim and Eric fans out there. Yeah, I
1: felt like. Adult Swim had a hand in naming I the so. dog. <laughs> rule's rules. I,
0: I love Brule's Rules.
1: Which that dog I don't think it emu- emu- emulates anything um, related to Dr. Steve Brule because of how crazy that character is on Tim and Eric. But you know, I'd like to think yeah, he was named after that character.
0: This episode gives us more background about who Fena is and introduces our uh, her long standing history with Yukimaru. And they're a bit awkward at first not having seen each other in 10 years um but as they were continuing to interact you can see that they have you know they have some history here and i was like i'm sniffing a romance i'm invested let's go and i do love character relationships that put two extremely opposite people together because i enjoy watching those dynamics um and these two again are extreme opposites in every way from personality to appearance to character design so seeing Fenna kind of run her mouth, and then Yukimaro bonk her on the head because she's talking too much. Who does that remind you of?
1: <laughs> Who?
0: Me. Oh. We say I talk too much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talking, always talking. Outside of the podcast, I mean, that's the whole point. Here is for me to talk a lot, but outside of the podcast, fun fact, I talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot on your mind to say.
1: Also, I don't know if this was just a choice for the English, uh, subtitles, but to call them goblin knights is, it's, it's weird. (laughs) Hearing goblin knights makes me think of something like the hobbit. Like these are all like, we know that they're samurai and I think Wikipedia refers to their characters as the samurai seven, but the subtitles on Crunchyroll call them the goblin knights. And it makes them like, I picture again, these Ferocious creatures that wield swords and shields, um, but it maybe it's just a moniker that they wanted to go with for this crew.
0: I also had a weird reaction to hearing them call or seeing reading reading them being called goblin knights, um, but that's only because Goblin Slayer has now ruined the word goblin mm. for me. I've never seen Goblin Slayer, but I know what it's all about. I've seen the memes, I've seen the talk, so that's just right where my mind went. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And I feel like you have favorite characters of the knights, um, two in particular.
0: Oh, my God. I fucking love the twins. Yeah,
1: Anju and Kaede. I love them
0: <laughs> so much. Like, Yukimaru's is still my favorite, but they're, like, right there. They're a very, very close second. Their their interactions, both between the two of them and with the other characters, it's just perfect. They're so they're so funny throughout the entire show. I think one of my favorite parts is in a few episodes where they're trying to pronounce the name of the place, and they're like, Oh, uh, like I think it was
1: Leder <laughs> Overstein. Um, yeah, and they, just,
0: <laughs> they were fucking up. They didn't. They they weren't even close. And then they get to Fenna, and she's like, "Yeah, no, that's not how you say it." <laughs> I also
1: love that there are certain episodes where you can hear their banter in the background, <laughs> and you see the subtitles trying to capture what they're saying, while the other characters. <laughs> are like actually focusing on what they need to focus on. Yeah, you've got like the the main
0: audio (laughs) has the subtitles on the bottom of the screen, but then at the top, you've got their yapping in the background. (laughs) They're just fantastic. I I love them. They were one of my favorite parts about this show. Yeah,
1: very great comic relief. In episode three, Barbaral. As Fena and the Goblin Gang set sail for the pirate cove of Barbaral to replenish and resupply, they are pursued by a Royal Navy pretty boy officer named Abel and his female pirate guns for hire, the Rumble Rose, in order to bring the light-haired lassie back to Shangri-La. Fena and the warrior twins Kaede and Enju learn of a location in Germany that could provide more answers on her father's mysterious glass stone when they are ambushed by Fena's sleazy suitor Maxiver Jr. and his band of merry mercenaries also sent by Abel to capture her. Yukimaro comes to her rescue despite suffering a musket ball wound. And Maxifer Jr. later walks the plank for serving no further purpose to the plot.
0: I would say um, there's a lot of great humor in this show, but at certain moments, it's a little over the top, campy. But it's not bad. Like it, it kind of dips into that territory a little bit, but the comedy still lands, and and that's important, and that it all still works um certainly with the twins again like they're they're so funny I wrote down here for this episode in particular when Fena I think calls Kaede Enju and then he corrects her and she doesn't even notice or pay attention I just love again that subtle humor that you're getting in this show that balances the drama and the mystery that's also apparent
1: yeah and since we mentioned it a lot of the show in terms of humor and and drama reminds me of Samurai Champloo with that striking that balance because I think even Samurai Champloo felt campy at points. But I get the same feeling here, and it's it's not a bad thing. Um, it's just, for me, it was very reminiscent of it.
0: I think this this was one of the the first big fights in the show, and my God, the fight animations, just fluid and seamless, especially during the moments of hand-to-hand combat. That's when it shines the most, um, or when Yukimaru is um, you know using his sword. It's just... Oh, my God. It's delicious. Delicious fight animation. But
1: I don't think any of the knights ever shed blood on their opponents, right?
0: Um, I mean, Yukimaru does kill people, oh, technically. Mm-hmm. But with the female pri- pirates, they just knock them out. Okay. At least Kaede and Enju did because they, they had the hots for some of them.
1: And I was surprised you know, Yukimaru gets injured right away. But it almost becomes like a recurring joke yeah. throughout this series. Not a joke, but like. You could chalk it up to plot armor but he's got really strong plot armor yeah
0: he gets <laughs> fucked up a couple times shitan even like mentions it he's like he keeps he keeps getting hurt whenever he's with you fena mm-hmm.
1: um
0: but the best part about this episode i'm gonna be a Yukimaro stand here is the part where Yukimaro's ears blush um <laughs> i just i thought that was so clever you've it happens elsewhere in anime but the fact that there's no cheek blush and it's just ear blush further amplifies that he's a sunday because he thinks he's covering up his true feelings and then his ears just give all that shit away and i loved it so much and i thought that that was great humor too because they they animate him with like a pouty face and then they zoom in on his ear blush and i'm like they're just hitting the humor great when it comes to yukimaru because him being such a sunday he's easy to poke fun at
1: yeah and it's a a more subtle trait and i think it provides it even more humor rather than making his like cheeks blush. Um, again, accounting to the fact that he is a character who kind of keeps to himself, but then you see that subtle hint of like him showing feelings or just feeling butterflies um, when he's around Fena.
0: I, I think the, the pout and the ear blush part sold me on Yuki Maru. Like I already was kind of sold on him, but after watching that scene, I'm like done one of the best males in the days. So yeah, great episode overall. I, I think it was just a really fun episode, um, kind of seeing the the differences between, you know, Kaede and Enju and their very, like, fun, carefree ways against Maru's very stern, strict, and serious ways. They're just a, I don't know, a, a fun group that's come together because all their personalities are extremely different.
1: In episode four, The Mystery of the Stone. The boat Nido travels to the German village of Libar Oberstein as Fena unsuccessfully tries to level up her combat skills with the Goblin Gang. Villager Arya not Stark leads the crew to her grandfather the Burgermaster, who drops more clues about the glass stone in exchange for Yukimaru polishing his blade. Wink wink. Turns out the stone is connected to Joan of Arc, aka La Fuselle d'Orlans. D'Orlean's? And has a receipt date of 1436, five years after her death by barbecue steak. Fena recalls the term La Pucelle from a childhood memory, while Captain Pretty Boy pours over a painting of La Pucelle a few nautical miles away.
0: So we're finally starting to get some insight, some understanding into this stone or like this trail they're trying to follow. But I will say it did feel like a pretty slow burn by that point in the show. Like, we are four episodes in and we're just starting to scratch the surface of this pirate journey that they're supposed to be on and I I was really interested by the idea that the stone was commissioned by Joan of Arc five to six years after her death and that there's this whole like history or historical piece behind the plot and when I was looking at some some discussions um you know on, on social media about it there are some history buffs that that are pretty, uh, they give some high praise to this show and, and how they, they approach historical figures and, and moments in history and that they are pretty spot on, but that just doesn't go anywhere. Like I get all excited mm, yeah. about this Joan of Arc idea and, like, they kind of wrap it up by the, end, by the end of the show, but really it doesn't go anywhere. You could remove the whole Joan of Arc thing from, from the show, and it would make no difference to the storyline. It's about Fena and the goblins and their journey to find Eden, but, like, the Joan of Arc piece, and really a lot of these other historical pieces, don't play an integral part when they really could. They could play a big part and, and be really cool.
1: Well, I thought the premise was that Joan of Arc, um, with Fena being one of her descendants, she they all are in, like, a line of maidens, right? And these maidens have the power to, like bring the world into a new age or keep things as is isn't that what the connection is supposed to be
0: yes but does it need to be Joan of Arc like, you could just say there are yeah. just these maidens right or like mm-hmm. some some godlike person gave birth and she's a descendant of this god person who decides the fate of the world like you didn't need it to be Joan of Arc you didn't need it to be so rooted in actual history but I liked that they did that but then they didn't follow through with it like there mm. wasn't enough about it they almost like it was like breadcrumbs of history and then they really didn't dive into it, but again, it's because they only had twelve episodes to work with.
1: Yeah, it, it's more like they wanted to pick Joan of Arc just because it fit within the timeline of the show. Um, but again, going back to Assassin's Creed, like Joan of Arc also plays a very integral role in the beginning of that series as well. And I think it's just there's this kind of strange fascination with Joan of Arc because like she was obviously a, a real person in history but there's so many myths and legends surrounding her um that i think this that was another reason why the show wanted to include her as well
0: which again that, that's i completely agree there's a lot of mystery and a lot of excitement around the you know the name joan of arc when you hear that 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 comes with a certain feeling and i just because they only had 12 episodes to work with they didn't have the time um to dive into that more because that would have been so cool can you imagine if they really um if they really invested more time and effort into the Joan of Arc piece of the story, I think mm-hmm. that would have made for something a lot more grand than what we got. And that's why I keep saying that this show had so much potential, untapped potential that was hindered by the short time frame that it was given.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. In episode five, Coordinates, clan leader Sanada speaks to Yugi Maru's older brother, Kay and goblin warrior Shitan receives a message from the village, each expressing concern about the warriors following under the quote-unquote witch's spell. Speaking of, Fena subconsciously leads the crew through mysterious underground ruins in Orleans to Zelda to a Zelda temple puzzle where the glass stone is used to reveal another Blue's Clue. O'Malley and the Rumble Rolls crew arrive to take Fena hostage and demands that the goblin gang give up the location of what she believes to be El Dorado. They leave the goblin gang. They leave the goblin gang for dead by rigging the place with explosives and trapping them inside. But this being episode 5 out of 12, I have a feeling they'll be just okay.
0: Right off the bat, I appreciate that they didn't beat around the bush with the Fena and Yukimaru ship. They make it pretty obvious that he has feelings for her and that she probably has feelings for him. Um, in this episode in particular, Shitan straight up straight up asks Yukimaru if he's in love with her, and then he does the ear blush again. And I don't know, I just I think it's nice that they didn't waste any time with with this ship because it's not, it's not like a pivotal part of the story, but it is a big part of, of what they focus on. So they didn't kind of dick around because they do that a lot in anime. They're like, do they? will they, won't they? And then like the last episode or two, they're like, yeah, they will. Like they f- they're finally canon. But it's like, damn, you had me wondering the whole time. Here they're like, now nah, we'll-, we'll let you know. It's, it's pretty obvious it's going to happen.
1: Mhm. I kind of like how this episode, like as soon as we learn about um, the stone, like it goes into this locale um, where they – find out even more like it doesn't drag out that that part of the story too much if you know what i mean um it just goes straight into the the next half of it and i think at this point Fenna's journey takes a standstill um because she gets kidnapped by the rumble rose and then ends up in the arms of a bell kind of gives her even more insight into her backstory uh, so this was an interesting episode for that turn of events
0: and that's kind of my point, too, is, I mean, Fena has these memories and wanders to Joan of Arc's grave, speaks to her, uh, presumably, and, like, that's cool. Like, I want more of that. I want her to have more of these, like, these these flashbacks. I want her to have more conversation with Joan of Arc or whatever the hell is going on. But, again, we don't get more of that. It's just these little breadcrumbs of stuff that's happening, uh, you know, beneath the surface of, of the plot.
1: And not only that, I think uh, the head of the Rumble Rose crew um, O'Malley she mentions that the goblin Knights they were part of the Battle of Dunkirk, um, which was a apparently like a real battle in history at this um, at this time uh, where they caused 300 no sorry 3,000 casualties. Um, so that piqued my interest in you know wanting to learn more about, these seven samurai but we only really get backstory on shitan and yukimaru like barely any for the other five of them and i would have loved to learn more about the knights and their backgrounds like how they all came to be like why they were specifically assigned their their roles and like their their abilities you know what i mean
0: a hundred percent the, yeah, I mean, that's why I said or why I mentioned earlier that despite not having backstory for a lot of these characters, they still are, are a great group of characters that came together super well. But again, that is with the, the side note that there is no backstory for a lot of these um, these main characters and even the Rumble Rose crew. Like yeah. they seemed like they were going to play a big part in the show. And as we'll learn in a few episodes, they get written off real fast. I <laughs> they mean, blown they, up. They come back. <laughs> like, I guess in the last episode, they, they confirm that they aren't necessarily dead, but it's like, they seemed like they're going to be the villains or at least one of the villains of the show. And then they're just gone. Um, or, you know, the, the mention of, like, El Dorado. I'm like, that's cool. I was like, oh, shit, it's Disney's Road to El Dorado. And that's, like, another piece of history that they drop in here, but then, like, they never really go anywhere with it. It's almost like they're flexing their, their history knowledge here, mm-hmm. but they're not actually diving into any of it. It's like, oh, by the way, we know that this happened around this time, and we know that this thing was also a thing at this, you know, this era. Um, and even with the fucking uh, page boy, who's also Fena's, like, adopted dad, like wh- yeah. who what like i i sat through the last two episodes and i still don't know who the fuck that is and i feel like that was all kind of a rush job like this guy literally raised fena and um you know did some weird shit with her mom but i don't know who this fucking page boy is
1: and you would think like how did he end up on a ship and how Abel didn't vet him at first Right. Yeah,
0: like there's just <laughs> so much like around these characters that seem like they have a lot of promise and like a lot of the show have a lot of potential to play an integral part of the story, but they have no time to invest in these characters. So we just have to accept that they are who they are and they're doing what they're doing without any real explanation or clear explanation for us as the audience because they're on such a, t- a time crunch. Like they, if, if there's no more Fena after this, which I would definitely want a season two, like... I wouldn't be upset if there wasn't a season two, but I'd be down for a season two. But if they would have just given this show a full 25, 26 episodes, we probably would have had more context around the Rubble Rose crew and time to give backstory to the Goblin slayer, Goblin Slayers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to the yeah, Goblins. Like, yeah, the Goblin Slayers. <laughs> um, or even the old Goblins, because I know that Abel, Abel, um, he hints at the original mm-hmm. Goblins saying that they were untrustworthy blah 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 I would have loved to have seen more about the original goblins or the old school goblins and
1: that's another I I know this comes up later um that the goblins had this I guess ulterior motive of using Fena to grab like the the Japanese treasures and then they're supposed to you know abandon her or whatever right but nothing ever happens of that like that's never brought up like yeah they that Fena or like Fenna didn't know that there was this ulterior motive. And then like Shitan was the one who's campaigning for it. And then eventually he's like, you know what, let's just follow her anyways.
0: 100%. Like that, that's, again, another fantastic example of how the short timeline or the, the short episode count on this show was a hindrance to the potential that it had. Um, because I think this episode, episode five, is when we first get the hint that Shaitan may have to betray Fena at some mm-hmm. point, um, because of what he's being told by their leader and in a few episodes, they make like a big fucking to do about Chitan's older brother coming after them. And they make a big fucking to do about these swords, which Chitan Sh- does find and he does give to his brother in the last episode. But they just wrote that shit off. Like they built it up and gave us nothing about it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that would have been cool. I want to see him be pissed at his brother, who is also Yukimaru's mentor. That's a cool situation to set up. And then they never delivered.
1: Yeah. K never, like, he only makes a cameo. He's never actually a threat. He literally, yeah, <laughs> they
0: literally don't go to Fena at first because they're terrified of this dude. He's on his way to go fuck up their shit, and then he never shows up. And Shaitan does a 180 with, like, no effort to be like, yeah, okay, fine, I'll, I'll side with Fena again.
1: Yeah, I don't know.
0: But all that aside, <laughs> episode five was a very interesting episode because we finally got a little more traction on the lore.
1: Mm-hmm. And moving on to episode 6, Mutiny on the Blue Giant. Right on cue, the Goblin Gang makes their way out of the rubble as O'Malley delivers Fena to Captain Pretty Boy, who cancels his Venmo payment to Rumble Rose after learning that they cut Fena's collar without a case of caution. Pretty Boy tries to convince Fena that he knew her mother and the Goblin Gang are just manip- manipulative assholes, which Sheetan slightly confirms when he tells the warriors that a friendship with the Houtmans was only meant to help recover Nipponland's highly treasured Kusanagi sword. He warns that the group will turn traitor if they don't assist in Fena's capture, but Yukimaru tells him to fuck off and leaves to rescue his damsel in distress. O'Malley tries one more time to secure her Venmo payment, but Pretty Boy refuses, prompting her to gear up for a revenge battleship game with the Royal Navy while Pretty Boy Abel shows Fena the painting of her mother, Helena, by My Chemical
0: Romance. Is there a song called Helena?
1: Yeah, remember that song? No, by I, don't, Ke-
0: <laughs> I don't know much about My Chemical Romance. It was
1: the the music video where he was at the funeral. Uh, I thought like this, I remember this song was all the rage. And i mean ha- i 2000s. would know it if
0: i heard it i'm you know me i'm terrible with names and titles
1: it's like what's the worst thing i could say things are better if uh, i stay uh, yeah i don't know so long it's okay <laughs> n- okay well uh, after this you, you can play for me and for all, all the more. millennials out there hopefully you enjoyed that reference yeah
0: <laughs> Well, th- with this episode, um, again, I want to call out the blend of Asian and European mythology here and how it's complemented by the distinct art styles and character designs for the Japanese elements and for the European elements. I, I think overall it's a big risk, but I think, uh, as you mentioned earlier, they pull it off very well. It's, it's very different cultures that come together in a way that let them shine. Like Each of them can shine side by side instead of forcing one to fit with the other. And again, Yukimaro and Fenna, those two physically and relationship-wise are a perfect example of that.
1: Yeah, blend of eats eats a blend of east meets west. <laughs> eats eats meets, meets west. <laughs> east means west.
0: This episode though was like a big exposition dump with a lot of information around the treasure, who's after it, why Fenna is so important. And at this point, I was thinking, okay, we're halfway through the series. I'm not convinced they can finish this story properly in one season. Clearly, they proved me wrong, half wrong because they didn't finish it properly, I would say. Mm-hmm. But they did finish it in one season. Um, but we get Shaitan basically revealing everything that they hinted in the last episode. So there was no almost no wait time between like oh here's a little breadcrumb about you know what's going on with shatan is he is he gonna betray them what's going on in the background here and they're like we'll just tell you all all of it next episode
1: and the shame of it is that's just all reversed i'm pretty certain in the next no wait not the next episode because the next one is when they rescue fena but i think the episode after that where it's that's just all undone
0: yeah it moves quickly (laughs) because there's not a lot of time to let it linger yeah um, Yukimaru, no surprise, decides to save Fena and he tells everyone how he's not over what happened 10 years ago on The Hope. Fena calling for him among the flames and terror and that he regrets letting her go. And this was when I got super, super interested on what the fuck happened on The Hope. I waited this entire show to get a sequence, a, a flashback, to get more backstory on Yukimaro and Fena's relationship. I mean, we get the idea by the end of the show, but I actually want to witness what happened on The Hope. I want to see them as kids and how they met each other and, and their interactions and why they have such a strong bond 10 years later. And we never got that. We got like a quick couple of flashbacks that basically hint that you know Abel was on the ship, Um, And that Yukimaru and Fena still did like the head bonk thing because she talked too much. But we get flashbacks for Yukimaru and his mentor, who is Shitan's brother.
1: Mm -hmm. Some
0: dude who plays no importance in the story and they write him off pretty quick. But we don't get any backstory or flashbacks on the hope. I was really surprised by that.
1: Yeah, there's no time no time no
0: time <laughs> it's just like why even give me any i don't care about chitan's brother because he's not important to the story why give me that flashback with yuki training with him use that time to show me what the fuck happened on the hope i want to see that shit oh
1: i mean from the bits and pieces we get like it it's cl- like we can understand like what happened there but yeah more clarification would have would have been nice
0: I also like in this episode the stark contrast between what's going on on Abel's ship and what's going on on the Goblin ship, Um, because Abel's, is it Abel? I always think it was Abel, but Abel?
1: I think it's Abel.
0: Okay, whatever. I don't know. He's crazy. Um, Abel's conversation with Fenna is all about her memories and her connections to Eden, and bringing up the past, like the old goblins again that I wish we knew more about, and her mother. But on the flip side, the goblins' conversation is all about forgetting the past and not caring about Fenna's memories and her connections to Eden, and instead about you know her safety, saying that she's one of their own now. She's one of you know she's part of the family. And um, even during these conversations, the twins mention that they don't kill women and children. But then in Abel's conversation, she uh, he tells Fena that the old goblins do kill even women and children. So it's kind of cool, mm. the, the side-by-side comparison of what the fuck was going on on Abel's ship and what was going on on the goblins' submarine. Is it technically a submarine?
1: Yeah, I mean, because it submerges at, at points. So. Well, there you go. I didn't even catch that at first of, of the, the contrast in explaining what the Goblin Knights are, are up to.
0: It's probably because it was such a big exposition. Dom. There's so much yeah. information I was a little bit overwhelmed.
1: Mm-hmm. In episode 7, The Burning Sea, as Pretty Boy Abel talks to Fena about the pains of trying to capture Helena's beauty through his artwork, the Goblin Gang decides to join Yukimaru in rescuing her from Abel's boring art lecture. To add even more twirls to a situation spiraling out of control, Rumble Rose attacks Pretty Boy's ship and he rebuts with a Wellington cannon attack that rips through the opposing ship's asshole. Fena suffers major PTSD during the battle until Yukimaru rescues her right on cue. Pretty Boy guns him down as Yuki recognizes a bell from the fateful ship battle 10 years prior before collapsing. Finally, the Goblin Gang uses their ninja warrior skills to rescue Yukimaru and Fena and leave Pretty Boy left with none of his Pretty Boy swag.
0: I really liked this episode. I, l- I liked it a lot. Um, I- I'm not surprised that the the entire Goblin group had a change of heart and went after Fena and Yukimaru, and that even Shatan did that as well, because I feel like he is a good character, um, and he knows his role is to protect Yukimaru. But I was like, I, I don't know, I thought there was going to be some big battle episode and then Abel took out Rumble Rose with a one-hit KO. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh shit. Okay. Well, I guess it's not a battle episode after all."
1: It's like they wanted to take him out so they could focus on everything else. That was such a throwaway for Rumble Rose.
0: Yeah, I kind of liked it because it it subverted expectations. Mm. Dare Mm. I bring back that phrase? Um, But it was also kind of like, whoa, I was not expecting that, and I didn't know how to feel afterwards. But yeah, he nuked the shit out
1: of them. The one thing I caught, and I guess another cool thing about this series is that it makes a lot of religious references. Um, Abel actually quotes a Bible verse, I think, after he fires at rumble rose's ship um it's matthew chapter 9 verse 16 um the quote is no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment for the patch will pull away from the garment making the tear worse
0: he said that
1: um i forgot how he quoted this um or i think um one of the characters noted that he was referring to this verse I don't think it, it was actually about clothing. <laughs> I think it's meant to be like a metaphor of trying to fix an issue or solve his problem according to outdated ways. And I think that's why he got rid of Rumble Rose because they were kind of standing in the way of his objective of getting fan. Like he used them as a means to his end, but it wasn't as successful as it turned out to be.
0: Hmm. Interesting. That went straight over my head. Yeah. I'm glad you caught that.
1: Yeah, I was reading up on my Bible verses. This <laughs> <year>. <laughs> um,
0: funny enough, I'm reading my notes verbatim here. And uh, when Yukimaru remembers Abel from the, the Fire on the Hope, I wrote, I keep trying to guess if they can fit the entire story in 12 episodes. And with these new revelations, I'm just not convinced they can. But I'm actually hoping already for a season two because I don't want this story to end yet. Man was I fucking wrong. I was so wrong. They 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 were determined to finish this up in 12 episodes and it just it, it pains me.
1: And they did it again. They thought we could lose Yukimaru after this episode cuz he gets shot twice by a bell. Yeah. <laughs> but then he turns out fine like <laughs> after this like once we saw him I think in the second to last episode get stabbed I was like this this guy's gonna be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like this one, I think it, it took the wind out of me when I saw um Abel shoot Yuki.
0: Yeah, I feel like that was a, a pretty surprising moment because he was readying up to to go in battle with all these dudes on the ship. And then here comes Abel saying, We don't have time for this shit. We only have twelve episodes. I'm just gonna shoot yeah. you right now. <laughs> just like with Normal Rose. Like we don't have time to have a pirate ship battle. I'm just gonna fucking blow you guys out of the water and then that's it.
1: And then he loses Fena anyway yeah. and has to chase after her yet again.
0: I do want to call out, though, that with that moment um, where Fena was having a panic attack with flashbacks of the Hope burning and she calls out for Yukimaru and then he like arrives, I got chills. I know it's fucking cliche. That whole moment was very, very cliche, but I loved it. It's It's part of their bond, but really for me, just as the type of – anime fan that i am i live for that shit like i love the yukimara the yukimara yukimaru fena ship so much and i'm glad that they're canon and i i I know that they added a lot of cliche anime romance things in here like this moment where she calls out for him and suddenly he appears speak of the devil but i i live for this shit i know it's 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 cheesy but i enjoyed it so much it's like yes let's fucking go (laughs) wow
1: (laughs) yeah it was A little too cliche for me, but it was a nice moment. In episode 8, A Knight's Vow, the Goblin Gang takes Yukimaru to a doctor in Shaoen that successfully reinforces his plot armor. As he recovers, Shitan calls out Fena for using her seductive witchy ways on Yukimaru, but makes amends with her like 5 minutes later because there's no time for brooding. Yukimaru awakens from his recovery slumber and affirms his promise to take Fena to Eden with a kiss of her hand, which makes Fena feel some type of way. Elsewhere, Pretty Boy continues on his art escapades, swearing that he will one day reunite with his love, Helena, by My Chemical Romance.
0: Yeah, I was uh, not surprised that Chiton came around that quickly. Like,
1: yeah, There was like really no logical reason for why, except i don't
0: know he's a good dude but also you know fenna was probably like dude we don't have time for you to be mad at me we need to like wrap this story up so can you just like be on my side Mm -hmm. and he's like sure why the fuck not um i thought it was weird though because again i was holding out hope that we were gonna get backstory on yuki maru and fenna on the hope and instead we got backstory on yuki maru and shitan's relationship when they were younger which i appreciated i really liked because that helped set up why Shaitan was so upset about um, Yukimaru getting hurt yet again when he's with Fena. But like at the end of the day, he forgave her so quickly. I'm like, it doesn't really matter.
1: Another thing is Shitan bringing up this idea of Fena being some sort of witch um, and that she's making not just the crew, but Yukimaru specifically fall under her spell. And hearing that made me question a lot of like Yukimaru's motives in the past episodes as to why he was rescuing her so it it brought up an interesting plot point but as you've mentioned that really doesn't go anywhere until you find out that it's actually Abel who was more under spell, like having this fascination with the with Helena and with the maiden of choosing
0: yeah another fantastic example of not having enough time to dive into anything. I was also very intrigued by the whole witch concept. Like, really, where does this come from? Could it have some truth to it? Um, clearly not. But, it. yeah, I don't know. Why even bring up the whole witch thing? Just say mm-hmm. that he he's... he. Just say that Yukimaru um, is not able to have clear judgment because he's blinded by love at that point. Why even have the witch thing in there? Because we all know that Abel actually did truly love Helena, so it's not like there was any witch motive there. So I don't mm-hmm. know, it's just like, like, why? Like, if you're not going to dive into it, don't give it to me in the first place.
1: One other thing about this episode, which was kind of my favorite part, is when Yuki wakes up again from his recovery, he freaks out that he has no feeling in his legs, but then it you see, it cuts to a shot of Fenna and Brule, which I didn't even know Brule was with them um, this whole time, but they're sleeping at his bedside um, at his feet.
0: Yeah, I really like that. And then he smacks the shit out of her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, wow, dude, another bonk moment.
0: I um, also want to call it another stark contrast between the goblin side of things and the Abel side of things. So Fena, twice now, has been kissed on the hand, um, but her reactions were very different each time. So with Abel, she had no reaction and just kind of seemed surprised when he kidnapped her and then kissed her on the hand. But with Yukimaru, obviously she's also surprised but very flustered and is all blushing and all that stuff because you know she loves him too so that was another cool contrast there um between abel being the the creeper that he is and the goblins being awesome
1: (laughs) the creeper and i'm pretty sure
0: abel's voice actor is the same guy as yoshikage kira so maybe abel just wants to live a quiet life with helena
1: let's see really quick abel is voiced by toshiyuki morikawa Um. Um, let me do a quick Google search. Yes, wow, he was Yoshikage Kira in Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Part 4.
0: My favorite Jojo villain. So as soon as I heard him talk, I'm like, oh, this guy's either going to love hands or he's going to want to live a quiet life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, he still loves, he has like a weird fascination with something, I guess.
0: Yeah, with Fena. <laughs> Poor Fena.
1: <laughs> in Episode 9, Vice Versa, Pretty Boy finishes up his painting and triggers a mopey flashback about his relationship with Helena by My Chemical Romance and how she eloped with the king's serious black butler Franz whilst carrying the king's child, which leads to her death sentence. Before her scheduled barbecue, Helena tells Pretty Boy of her wish to return to Eden and gives him a chance at their reunion if he ever crosses paths with her daughter. Back in the present, Yukimaru uses his inner Shazam app to recall the lyrics of a song Fena was humming, and the pair realizes that combined with the blues clue from the glass stone, it provides the coordinates to Eden, though for me to recount how they came to this realization requires a lot of big brain time and an extra strength Tylenol.
0: Oh boy. So yeah, we get a, a lot of backstory on Abel and Helena, which is very revealing. They confirmed that they were in fact in love, but that she was forced to have Fena with Abel's father, the king, making Fena his half-sister, which then makes all of the previous interactions with Fena much more creepy.
1: Oh. I didn't realize. Yeah, they're they're half-siblings. Yep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we also learned that Abel basically wants to Anne hero so that he can be with Helena again because there's nothing left for him in this world um I don't know he's going through some shit I do feel for him and Helena like that's really sad but yeah he is he's going through it that's for sure I I didn't necessarily enjoy the moment where Fena and Yukimaru have that like big brain segment where they somehow deduce that the vice versa song holds the coordinates to Eden if you can picture the meme from The Hangover where Zach Galifianakis is sitting there and the math equations are floating everywhere, yeah. that was me watching this part. I'm like, huh, <laughs> or, what? <laughs> even
1: the woman from the telenovela. Yeah, <laughs> 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 I love that one. <laughs> yeah, again, I think this is another instance where it was like it was a really convoluted explanation. And again, I I tried to k- take notes on what exactly they were figuring out. Like they were reversing things in the song and then re-reversing it. But, you know, I think they just wanted to get from point A to point B as quickly as they could at this point.
0: Yeah. I I thought about going back and rewatching that scene, but I was like no. Just no. I'm not going to. It is what it is. They figured it out, and that's all I need to know.
1: The only other thing that I noted that was interesting about this episode was with the flashback. Um, I don't know if you caught this, but the backgrounds kind of changed where they looked more like watercolor paintings. Um, Kind of being evocative of like a bell's fascination with with painting the memory of helena um so i think that was a nice segue into again his love of art and him reflecting on the past by using like this this aesthetic of paintings as as the flashback in episode 10 the curtain rises on the climax the boat Nito sets its coordinates for eden which unveils an island rising out from the ocean floor. And Captain Pretty Boyd, alongside the mysterious Royal Page Boy Cody, set sail for their location upon learning of this news. The Goblin Gang uncovers a hidden cavern filled to the brim with treasures from across the world, but Fena and Yukimaru explore further to a room where she plays a round of DDR and activates the entrance to Eden while the Royal Navy make their way to the Cave of Wonders
0: okay so we get a short glimpse of yukimaru watching fena do the maiden dance when they were kids on the hope and i'm like finally something about the hope um so it seems like yukimaru knows a lot more about this overall situation the the whole journey and 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 everything um, than he realizes just through his interactions with fena from when they were kids and perhaps just from his memories of her he could be of Signi- significant help with the journey to Eden. Honestly, he is significant help with the journey to Eden, um, like what happened in the last episode with the Vice Versa song. If he hadn't shared those memories with her, they would not have found Eden because Fena forgot the words to the song. And I love this because this really draws on the importance of Fenna and Yukimaro's relationship, not only for the romance, but because they went through some shit when they were kids. Mm-hmm. And this, I, I'm sorry I keep repeating myself, but this is why I was so frustrated with not seeing anything about the hope because you're telling me here that the stuff that happened on that ship 10 years ago basically makes or breaks this journey and also makes their romance a thing. And we don't get to see any of that by the end of it. it just It's so bittersweet to me um, and... I don't know, that was the one thing, if the show could have given me something, I I would have wanted this. I would have wanted the, the flashbacks, the backstory on what happened on The Hope.
1: I think just like with Bakugo, you could probably write a whole research paper analysis on Yukimaro and Fena's French or not friendship, like their relationship. Yeah, and how
0: <laughs> peeved I am that we didn't get any flashbacks of the hope. I'm going to keep, I'm sorry, I, Like, hopefully that's the last time I bring it up. But. It's, uh, it's funny because
1: in contrast, the only thing I wrote for this episode is... Like Fena's DDR sequence. Like, how (laughs) was she able to know which platforms to press to activate the stairway? It is a
0: DDR sequence. Holy shit! (laughs) That just changes my whole outlook on this episode. Because honestly, this was a very gorgeous and striking episode, um, with the environments and the Mm -hmm. stunning color palettes, the fantastic animation, and the beautiful soundtrack. It was. There's a slight element of cheese when Fena was doing her dance. It was kind of like, oh, okay, I'm like slightly cringing. But I think the the whole thing came together very nicely. And it was just such a high production episode um, that just made me really sad that not enough people are watching this. Mm-hmm. I also have to call out the way they animated Yukimaru's expression while he was watching Fena do the dance was absolutely perfect. Um, It evoked just the right emotions and showed how deeply in love he is with her and how much he missed her over the last 10 years and all that. Like they nailed it with the way they drew his expression and it like got some feels out of me. And I'm not an animator, but I can imagine it's very difficult to get certain expressions just right in anime and to show emotion with more subtlety versus just outright telling the audience how a character is feeling. Um, For example, like there's panicked faces or shocked faces where the facial features are very amplified and it's probably a bit easier to get it right. But something like this is so soft and small and they nailed it. Like I feel like um, Gintama and Attack on Titan are also very very good at nailing the small and subtle facial expressions that can completely change the way we perceive a character's mood or reaction to something. And this, like Yukimaru watching Fena do the dance, like, it was undeniable, like, how, like, torn he was about, like, being with her, but then also having spent the last 10 years apart and just how he feels about her. So props to the animators for just, like, really nailing it with his facial expressions throughout that whole sequence.
1: I would say it was, like, a cross between, again, yeah, with the whole motif of her being a witch, like, him being entranced by it, um, or as, as to your point... Him just having this sort of forlorn love for this person that he's known for so long and seeing her at the end of this journey, although they both complete the journey together as they walk up that stairway. In episode 11, at Mission's End, Fena and Yukimaru climb the stairway to Eden and come across what looks to be the remains of an ark, probably the last place Noah parked it. Shitan finds the revered Kusanagi sword of Nipponland but he and the Goblin Gang get in a scuffle with the Royal Navy as everyone tries to figure out where the fuck those two lovebirds went off to. Pretty Boy sneaks away to find Yukimaro and Fena, but hallucinates them as serious Black Butler Franz and Helena by My Chemical Romance, prompting Yukimaro to cut off his arm, which in turn earns Yuki a stab through the chest, though that reinforced plot armor is hella strong by this point. The real Mr. Helena Crabs appears to Pretty Boy, and he ascends to into his death by blood loss while Franz appears to Fena and changes form to royal page boy Cody, revealing himself as the quote-unquote observer of her story. Though he should have done less observing and more swerving to defuse this mess of a situation.
0: So here it is, as mentioned earlier, episode 11. Um, after a spectacularly crafted episode 10, I kind of was like, ooh, when I was watching this episode, um, animation certainly took a dip. Fight scenes were really slow moving, not like quite in slow mo, but stretching out motions to extend the fighting because they probably couldn't afford to do a lot of um, invest a lot of frames in these fights. Um, faces were not as clearly or cleanly drawn as usual, um, but you know every show is going to have one or two episodes where maybe they can't dedicate as much production resource to it. And, you know, it may look slightly less clean. So after every other episode in this show looks absolutely stunning. I really can't complain about episode 11. Like, yes, it's distracting. And you cannot deny that it's not at the same level as the rest. But really, at the end of the day, I'm happy with the overall animation. I think it's phenomenal.
1: Yeah. I mean, I didn't really notice the dip in animation too much. Um, And I think it's just because, you know, production IG, as you've said, like they've done a fantastic job with this show.
0: The pacing also felt weird. So I I wouldn't say it's only animation that took a hit here. I think it's um, pacing and storytelling that took a hit. Um, Because Yukimaru and Fena got surprise visits from fucking everyone. First Abel, then Helena, and then the, the page boy Cody and her fake dad. And i was just like what is happening they're cramming so much into this episode Mm -hmm. i did appreciate though as you called out that abel actually died in a timely manner from blood loss when yukimaru chopped off his arm because in anime you often see someone get amputated but somehow they're still fully functional for way longer than physically possible and yukimaru is a great case in point because he got stabbed to the chest and somehow he's he's still totally fine (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, so I thought that that was nice. But overall, this episode just felt weird. I would say this, this is, and I hate to use the word weakest, but this is probably the weakest episode of the show. But overall, it was it was still a fine episode. Fine episode.
1: I find that interesting because I think the last episode is the weakest episode of the series. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which, episode 12, The Chosen Maiden, Observer page boy Cody explains to Fena that she is the maiden of choosing, who holds the world in a balance between the continue screen and the reset button, and that no matter which choice she selects, her memory card data will be deleted to spare her the burden of living with that choice. Fena struggles with her decision, but feels emboldened after reminiscing of her travels with the Goblin Gang. She embraces Yukimaru in her maiden DLC skin one last time before saving Zawardo, as Yuki promises to upgrade his plot armor and find her again. He subsequently washes up on a beach and finds a black haired Fena wading in the water with no recollection of her past. The Goblin Knights show up with their luxurious booty on the boat Nido, and the group decides to pull a 51st Dates and help Fena regain her memories. In a post credit scene, Yukimaru finally confesses his love for Fena, a sentiment which she claims she has been waiting ages for, and bonks him on the head. For we know that not even level 50 plot armor can shield Yukimaru from being pierced with Cupid's sparrow.
0: I like the 51st Dates reference. That's actually, uh, yeah, <laughs> the, that works. <laughs> right? They were
1: also like uh, in a beach location in that movie. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I would say overall a satisfying finale However, it had a lot crammed into it. Again, this show 100% needed more episodes. The finale alone could have been split into two episodes to avoid us feeling overwhelmed. Like, give us all the front half shit about, like, Fena being this maiden and having to choose the fate and all that shit, and then, like, give us a cliffhanger ending. And then, like, I think the cliffhanger ending would be, like, when Fena flies away, and then the next episode, which would then be the finale, could start with Yukimaru finding her on the beach and then have them having to struggle through the initial stages of like her memory loss mm-hmm. into, you know, closing out the show. Cause yeah, I was like, Jesus Christ, what the fuck is happening? It was almost as overwhelming as the whole vice versa song part.
1: I was just thinking this was almost like how The Promised Neverland season two crammed everything into that last episode. <laughs> Although like this one does it miles better Um, but still that same feeling
0: yeah and at this point i wrote in my notes oh i forgot that shitan's brother was chasing them seems too easy that shitan handed them the goblins treasured items and that was enough to keep them from punishing them because again Mm -hmm. they made this big to do that shitan's brother was going to kill them for betraying the the clan or whatever and then they just buys them off like well you know don't kill us because we found the treasure that you were looking for and we're going to go off and do our own thing
1: yeah, loose ends here are tied up rather too neatly. And also why bring back that the bring back the rumble rolls? Like what was the point of showing us that they were still alive?
0: I think it's just for a happy ending. Mostly because um the, the blonde chick was talking about Ka- Kaede or Enju, whichever one they were she was flirting with. Um... they like hinted that she was interested in them, which is cute. I, I don't mind that, but yeah, it was weird because they made a big scene about like the dead bodies floating up when Yukimaru was looking at the Rumble Roses wreckage trying mm-hmm. to find Fena. So I was like, these, these bitches are dead. <laughs> but they weren't, at least not all of them.
1: No one ever dies in anime.
0: I think the the best part of the finale is everything around Yukimaru and Fena, not only because I shipped the shit out of them, but really just the way everything was, uh, was delivered to us. The whole end was heartbreaking when Yukimaru was calling out for Fena and she was basically being taken away because she had to fulfill her destiny but luckily they gave gave Fena back immediately instead of doing that thing where they make her disappear somewhere and then they have to go on a journey to find her Um, it was weird though that in that moment where she's flying off into the sky (laughs) Fena says ski right like which is literally I like you but often translated to I love you but here they translated it to I care for you which I kind of didn't like I was kind of taken back by that but I think they were doing that to emphasize Yukimaru's aishiteru later on in the episode in the post credit scene to to make it seem like that's really the true confession like that's when the confession mm. happens is on Yukimaru's end versus Fena as she's fucking flying away into the sky <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um I wanted to clarify something in the post credit scene because uh, this, this was something I questioned. Um, is that Yukimaru gives Fena I think he says it's a gift from him and Karin? Um and I think it was like a it was a dagger or something, Yeah. Right? I I read somewhere that it's actually the knife that Fena had originally used to cut her hair. Um and I think that's what had helped her to begin this whole journey. oh okay so a nice i guess gift for him to bestow upon her because yeah i was
0: like why is he giving that to her like what is the point Mm -hmm. but that makes sense
1: but i think it's it's symbolizing um their their kind of journey to help her regain her memories um so
0: yeah and her hair went from long to short and long again so full circle there
1: yeah but like i said i didn't like, this ending didn't sit well with me, more so with Fena's whole character arc. Um, because how is Fena still alive despite having served her role as the Maiden of Choosing? Or is it because, like, she had to, like, carry on the bloodline of the Maidens and, like, bear the successor?
0: I don't know, but, like, I also don't think they have to kill her off, right? Like, why? Why? Like, mm. if she serves her purpose and then they'd wipe her memory so that there's no concern about her doing anything weird down the road, like, fine. Like, it sucks that her memory got wiped, but at least she's alive. But I get what mm-hmm. you mean. Like, they had to do something with her, right? Like, they can't just toss her back into the world knowing everything that she knows, even though Yukimaru knows 90% of it. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's it was all right to have her memory be wiped.
1: Although it's interesting that she says at the end that she had waited for him to confess his love to her for after so many ages. Right?
0: I know. I, I love that, but I was also confused by it. My hope is that that's hinting that she actually can regain some of her memories, and maybe that can be the catalyst or the, the the lead-in to a season two if they want to do a season two. Or maybe it was because they've been on this journey for so long to find her memories that she fell in love with him pretty quickly after the whole like memory wipe and throughout the journey, she's been waiting for him to admit his feelings for her. I'm mm-hmm. trying to rationalize it, obviously, but I hope it's the former where, um, you know, they, they could lead into a season two with that little tidbit.
1: Okay. The other thing that I'm still trying to wrestle with is with Fena discovering that she is, like, one in the line of these maidens of choosing, and the world kind of hangs in their balance, um, It felt weird that she just willingly accepts this role and accepts that the choices she had made up until that point throughout this journey weren't of like her own volition, but through like this subconscious of her being this maiden. And I think the reason it doesn't sit well with me is that at the beginning of this series, we see Fennel like almost in this, Like she's in the servant role, right? And she's longing to break out of that and truly become free. And that's what you experience with um, her journeys with uh, the Goblin Knights. But then the way that she is basically pigeonholed into choosing to save the world or not, um, it's almost like she was trading subservience for another form of subservience. You know what I mean
0: yeah no I agree I think that kind of dampens her whole journey the reason for this journey right
1: because I don't know how they would have resolved about like if if she were to like break free of that choice um what the consequences of that would bring upon the world although I think that would probably have made for an interesting story rather than her say okay I'll save the world and the world just continues on as it is
0: yeah I I don't know like the whole the whole maiden thing like i get it but them dumping on us that she has to decide between restarting the world or letting it continue knowing that her friends could die where did that fucking come from Mm -hmm. like there was there any hint to that throughout the entire show like maybe if they had dropped little hints about it or kind of made us feel like that was the reason for her whole journey or kind of hinted at it i i would have i would have been less confused but I was like, okay. As confused as Fena was in that moment, I felt equally confused. Like, okay, I now have to pick between these two things out of nowhere. You're just dropping this shit on me. Like, that's fine, I guess. (laughs) I was very confused by it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like the show made us want her her to pick the right choice um, at that point. But yeah, there was no real lead into that besides the fact that you know she's she's journeyed with these seven night or samurai for so long that we wouldn't want to see them come to a tragic end
0: and maybe this could also be a lead-in into a season two where you know as they're trying to get Fena's memories back she remembers what the what this outcome means in the long run because they, they show her friends basically like killed in battle or something so then her journey in the next season could be how do i prevent this from happening how do i change fate how do i save the world
1: like breaking the cycle yeah and maybe (laughs)
0: actually making her own choices for once versus Mm -hmm. just following a predetermined path
1: yeah so that's why i consider this um like the weakest episode of the series just because it it doesn't really fit in with fena's character arc and i guess the entire point of the series which is I, I consider it to be, like, freedom of, of her choice.
0: Or being a pirate. Like, what does right? this yeah, like, have anything like, to do <laughs> with being a pirate? <laughs> like, yeah,
1: pirate princess. Like, pirates are supposed to symbolize, like, individuality and, and true freedom. But you have Fena, who is, again, sh- kind of shoehorned into to saving the world without, like, having a real choice.
0: The start of this show and the end of this show are so drastically different that if you were to show me the first episode and then show or even the second episode and then show me the last episode i would be like that's not the same show but again if they had more episodes to explore this and and give us the appropriate um, world building and lore that we desperately needed throughout this series i feel like i would have felt more comfortable saying yes what happens in the beginning does tie into the end it all does make sense even if they you know getting from point a to point b is a quite a drastic change for us
1: although i I do appreciate that even though there is a bit of finality um with this episode there is some room to open up for a potential second season Um, and like you i'd love to see more of fena's journey and whether or not she does regain her memories or continuing to see the relationship between her and Yukimaru and maybe actually seeing some conflict in this show especially with the whole, like, you know again, the the whole Japanese clan thing using the Houtman bloodline for their own advantage like, I'd love to see Fena find that out and that creates some tension within the group
0: yeah, like it I don't need a season two of this, but I would be very happy and be very excited if we got a season two of this show. I do just as my last bit for episode twelve, I do wanna call out as the Sindere lover that I am, and as the Yukimada Fena Yukimaru Fena shipper that I am. I love the post credit scene. Like it was everything. Him saying Aesheru, the ear blush, he goes in for the kiss, the Fena's whole thing, like I've been waiting ages for him. Like that I think is the reason why I found this final episode to be satisfying not all the stuff that happened before she lost her memories but just the stuff that happens after i was Mm -hmm. like at least they wrapped up the story they didn't leave any open um open thread lines but there, like you said there's still enough wiggle room to have more story laid out in the future
1: and with that that brings us to our final thoughts for fena pirate princess so how many what she fena do out of 10 would you give this series
0: so I, I was torn for a while between a 9 and an 8.5. I You can love a show that's a 7. You can love a show that's a 6. Um, so I was kind of thinking, like, am I just being a, a bit biased here with my rating? Because I loved this show, but does it deserve to be this high of a rating? And I was like, no, like, the animation's phenomenal. The soundtrack, the score, amazing. Like, the story so much fun the characters endearing as shit like it had all of the right pieces to make a recipe for success um i ultimately landed on an 8.5 because it's just not nine level um it's great all around but as i've mentioned many times it really suffered due to time constraints um they bring up little pieces that they just cannot invest in without a full 25 26 episodes and really this feels like a condensed version of what someone wanted the full show to be. Um, really, again, the only thing that suffered was the inability to fully explore things um, and and tap into the potential that was, that was here. So it's hard to give the show a big hit for that, but it is a significant part of why I dropped the score down half a point to 8.5. What about you?
1: I gave it the same rating, um, 8.5, but I have to commend Crunchyroll and Adult Swim and Production IG for the amount of work that they put into this show because I think it is a fantastic sleeper hit and it proved to be a saving grace for the summer 2021 anime season. It just left a lot to be desired. Um, I thought it had a well-balanced diet of action and story and again it gave me like Assassin's Creed vibes with its scope and its world building, even if the lore kind of felt disjointed or not fully addressed in certain parts. And you have this expansive, uh, cast of characters, although only certain individuals are highlighted because of the runtime. Um, although I think again, rumble Rose, despite their cameo appearance, um, of some of the pirates at the end, they basically felt like a throwaway. Um, I think I talked enough about the ending uh, being semi-satisfying for me. Again, it doesn't feel like a proper conclusion to Fena's character arc, but I'm glad that the ending l- does leave some room for a potential second season if that ever gets green because I'm pretty sure we still haven't heard anything about whether or not Fenna's getting a second season.
0: Yeah, nothing. Although um, on Twitter, the official Fenna twitter page um i think when they were leading up to this episode 12 they said you know tune in for the season finale right. of FENA. and i i tweeted at them I'm like season finale like hmm what could that mean so
1: we'll see <laughs> and i'm looking at um just a search results of news for fena pirate princess ign um had their review and it's called fena pirate princess season one review Ooh. So I don't know if that was just a mistake or if they're just assuming it's just a season one. So I'll just take that with a grain of salt. Um, but as I mentioned in the beginning, I kind of categorize Fena, Pirate Princess, in the same vein as like a B-action uh, movie. It's not like outright amazing, but it's just an enjoyable romp nonetheless.
0: I do want to take a second to just acknowledge like you you did earlier, um, Crunchyroll and Adult Swim coming up with such a, a great anime, kind of out of the blue with this collaboration. Can we acknowledge that Netflix has been really clawing at the anime game for a while? Like they really want to break into the industry and have some like crazy presence here and limited success yeah with limited success and in their first attempt together because obviously crunchyroll is all about anime they've been in the game for a while and adult swim has a history of of being in the game but in their first attempt together they've already produced something that is far beyond anything that i've seen from netflix granted i haven't seen everything that netflix has produced in terms of anime but i've seen some of the bigger stuff and there's good stuff out there I, i won't totally you know um ignore that or i'm not going to be naive to that but this is just there's something here with fena that makes me feel like crunchyroll and adult swim truly understand the anime community and what anime is all about more so than what netflix does or what they've shown us anyway
1: no i completely agree um especially after us having watched tower of god uh last year i think fena kind of changed the skeptic in me when it comes to viewing, like, Crunchyroll originals. Um, And I'm pretty sure they're continuing their collaboration with Adult Swim because I believe next year they will be debuting uh, an anime based on Shenmue, which was that, like, Sega video game (laughs) series, I think. Um, So that'll be interesting. And, like, they they killed it with this series, although it had had some things that didn't sit well with me. But I hope that they can continue this collaboration because it it's prov- proving to be a good success for them.
0: Yeah, I agree. Please, more of this, Crunchyroll and Adult Swim. Please. I, I would love more of this. You guys have um, definitely given me hope with, with Fena. No pun intended with the hope never getting in a backstory. <laughs> um, but... I have to say, just being part of the, again the part of the generation that grew up on Adult Swim anime, I feel like Adult Swim knows their shit when it comes to anime. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're a goofy bunch over there. I mean, we all know what kind of shit comes out of Adult Swim, but it's all good shit. And they're the reason that my generation got into anime the way that it did. They were the gateway for us.
1: So maybe they can be the gateway for the next generation, right, Rigby? Yeah, right, Rigby.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it our review on Fena Pirate Princess, hopefully with the asterisk that this is season one of Fena. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that everyone who tunes into this particular episode enjoyed Fena as much as we did. And, you know, maybe even thinks similar to us that this show needs more traction. It needs more more viewers, more of a fandom. But thank you for for joining us. We really appreciate you guys. And this wraps up episode 60 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash The Strictly Series and subscribe on your favorite podcast service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com, to share your thoughts on the anime we review. Um, as well as how awesome Yukimaru is as a tsundere. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.